Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century and beyond. I'm Andy Redwine. With me is my wonderful co-host, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I'm doing great, Andy. How are you doing? I'm swell. Uh, This movie that we're about to tackle today was a hard watch for me, but uh, a good watch. Um, What movie are we doing today? Well, technically not a in the movie theaters movie, uh, but right. we're doing Ruby Bridges from 1998, which was made for the wonderful world of Disney uh, TV series, which I think it was still going on at that time. Yes, uh, so, but uh, it's made for TV. Right. Yeah, made for TV movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy, I know you got a ton of key facts about this one. Would you mind sharing? I- I do. This is a, I mean, this is a historical biographical piece. So it makes sense that our key facts kind of start there. Uh, Gannett News Services, Mike Hughes and Tribune Media Services, Jay Bobbin interviewed Ruby Bridges Hall in January of 1998 to shed light on the film and to place it in a historical context. Um, Now, I think it's important to note that Ruby was born in 1954 So she would have been 44 at the time this movie was released and Mm -hmm. at the time of this interview. And she is, she is still living. Um, So as a part of the interview, Ruby stated being six years old, I didn't really realize what was happening. Then they didn't tell me what I was going to do, uh, which was fascinating to me. So as the lone student integrating a new Orleans grade school, Ruby's journey brought national attention to her and to her family. So the whole world watched as New Orleans officials reluctantly, very reluctantly, started integration after a federal court order, and actually a series of federal court orders. Uh, Ruby says, they came up with a difficult test knowing most kids couldn't pass, and they gave this test to 50 kids and only seven or eight passed. So they were adding things onto the court order to keep kids out of their school. Right. Uh, uh, So Ruby passed the test, uh, but her parents weren't on the same page when it came to integration. Uh, She says, my father was against it. He was very nervous about it. He felt it would subject me to a lot of racism. But my mother is a very strong person who felt strongly about it. She felt like it was the right thing to do. And that is that that story is fully told in this movie. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. So initially there were three children that were scheduled to attend, but the other two very understandably backed out. So the first day, Ruby and her mother sat in the princess principal's office all day. And she said there was so much confusion. Parents were rushing in and taking their children out of school. And the second day, the crowds outside the school grew larger and even nastier. There was a, she was on the, on the news that evening. And then the next day the crowds got bigger. So Ruby was placed in a classroom with one teacher, Barbara Henry. And of Barbara Henry, she said, she's an incredible person. It was her first day of work there. She said she never knew that this is what she was going to be doing until she got to school that day. And she did everything for me, gym, art, music, everything. Uh, By the time Ruby got to second grade, there were many more Black children enrolled with her at the school. As far as her personal feelings on the film, Ruby stated in 1998, this is a Disney movie, so it's slanted towards youngsters, and I want people to be aware that I am aware of that. The situation was much worse than what's depicted in the film. I didn't think I was ready to have my story told, and that's because I'm still living it. I'm an ambassador for literacy, and I'm always humbled and even taken aback by the response of the kids when I visit schools. For them, I'm this real person who's stepped off the pages of a book, and I think they see themselves as this little girl and feel what she went through. Sometimes we go through our daily lives trying to get away from what our destiny is, but I don't think you can do that. I know that now, and I feel I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Wow. Yeah, she's she's got a foundation, and if you want to look into that, you should. Uh, you can Google that. It's a very interesting foundation and, and, and the work that they do. So Ruby's experiences were incorporated into Norman Rockwell's painting, The Problem We All Live With, and you'll see parts of that in the film, at least that's uh, visually. I think that painting is visually informing what we see on the screen. 
And John Steinbeck's book travels with Charlie also talks a little bit about Ruby Bridges. Um, This film, as Larry said, aired on the wonderful world of Disney uh, on the ABC network on January 18th, 1998, which was the eve of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, So they were definitely, I think, thinking about how best to celebrate that. Oh, for sure. I mean, no one and how to bring those issues to children in a way that children could understand. Um, in a formal complaint on, this is more recent, on March 6th, 2023, a parent at North Shore Elementary School in Tampa, Florida, said the use of racist slurs and scenes of white people threatening Ruby as she entered a school could result in students learning that white people hate black people. And a review board concluded the film could be used as part of the curriculum of Pinellas County Schools. Tori Ann Johnson, who's the screenwriter for this film, Ruby Bridges, made this statement uh, after the committee's findings. She says, while I don't think it should ever have had come to a vote, I am proud of and grateful to the people who did the right thing. I was losing faith in us and our ability to stand up to those who want to suppress history and suppress inclusive instruction in schools. And and I have to say, I mean, listen, how there's no getting away from being political today, Andy. We're political uh, in We're this political episode. animals. We of we course. we chose this movie, um, but the idea that um, the movie is going to teach that particular lesson, but not any of the lessons that the movie intends to teach. I, I mean, it's ridiculous. Did I learn from the Muppet movie that, that frogs can ride bicycles? I did not learn that, but it happens a lot in that movie. Right, that, right. What, uh, that argument does not, does not work. Uh, and I guess, I guess this is a good time for me to get into our brand new segment that I also hate called Revisionist Roundup. Right. Oh, I love coming up with segments that I never want to do. (laughs) (laughs) But all right. So first of all, dovetailing off of this point right here, this isn't a racist roundup. There are racist characters in this movie. They use language that will not come out of my mouth ever. But you might be saying, Larry, why don't you have a problem with that in this movie? Yet, whenever you bring up uh, the Neverland natives in Peter Pan, you get very upset. And the difference between these two things is in Ruby Bridges, we are seeing racism for the purpose of calling out racism. You can have racist characters in movies. Maybe they shouldn't be the hero of your story. But they can be in the story because they exist in our world. Mm -hmm. Peter Pan has some racism that they're not calling out as racism that we're laughing. We're supposed to be laughing at and enjoying and indulging in the racism. Two very different experiences. Those are two different things. Those are two different intentionalities. Uh, Yes. Will your children hear some words you don't want them to repeat in this movie? Absolutely. Will the movie let you know that they should not say those words? Oh, yeah. yeah. When, yep. when you see when you see those words in the eyes of a young a young person that they're being directed at this very innocent little girl, um, it is well, it's going to stick with me for a very long time. And if by some chance you're concerned your kid might start repeating those words, that's called time to parent and have a conversation with your child and explicitly tell them, don't use those words. Right. That's the solution. But it certainly isn't to pretend racism never existed or doesn't exist today. But I actually want to take issue with something in this movie. Uh, First of all. What's that? Okay. So I want to say this and then I'll say that. Okay. Listen, (laughs) this is an important story. We chose it because it's an important story. And as far as I'm concerned, the message and the lesson and the historical facts are sacred historical facts. I'm not going to start. I'm not going to start making suggestions like Ruby Bridges should go to Mars. I'm not. 
like like it the story is the story is the story right where we can critique the story is in terms of execution not in terms of ruby bridge's life and struggle but in terms of execution and one place which i feel like critiquing is there is a scene in which uh the school teacher uh mrs henry uh speaks to uh ruby about how slavery ended in the United States. And I want to say two things about it. First of all, I want to say, unfortunately, this is how I was taught in elementary school, how slavery ended. Oh, same. Yes. Um, So from that perspective, it's realistic. By 1998, However, we should realize slavery, the end of slavery should not be taught this way. And even if we're showing it historically, someone needs to, there needs to be a voice somewhere in this film that that says it's actually more complicated than that. What Miss Henry says to Ruby is essentially, there were people in the South and they had slaves and they thought that was good. But up in the North, people knew that it was wrong and they fought a war to free all the slaves in the South. And I wish that story were true. But it is far more complicated. It is far more political. Uh, it is, uh, look, slavery, slavery is bad, but was everybody in the North fighting for ideals? I don't no. know that we can say that. No, uh, I, don't I don't know either. that we can say, I don't know that we can say that at all. And, and to, to, to make it so like the North are the unequivocal idealists, I think that is revisionist history and does not reflect the historical record. Right. Uh, so I don't want to leave that unchallenged. I don't really want to go too much more into it, but I feel like we need to call it out. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so let's get into plot. Oh, please do that. (laughs) And listen, and listen. As important as this movie is, I'm gonna have some critiques about plot. Uh, Two separate, two separate things there. And let's also recognize there are limits to what you can do for a made-for-TV Disney movie, right? uh, That that might not exist. I mean, that definitely don't exist uh, today. Um, right. I mean, but, I think Tor- I think Tori Ann Johnson is is um, as the screenwriter is leaping tall buildings in a single bound. I mean, this is a lot of heavy lifting uh, to make this a story that young people can grasp, and at the same time, um, families can talk about. Uh, you know, but it, it it's tough. Because if you, were, if you were making The Wizard of Oz today in 1939, no one would let you do 40 minutes in Kansas before you get to Oz. Right. right and and right. by the same token, looking at this movie today, there are things we would not do today right. with, with Ruby Bridges. And I think I think that's fair. Um, and you know what? If we're wrong, let us know. Uh, yeah. Tell us. I, we're, we, that's how we grow. Um, so, right. so let's get into the plot here and we're going to begin with the Manish Tana and we're going to ask, why does this movie start where it starts? And as I recall, we start in an African-American community mm-hmm. where we see some kids playing baseball as pretty much the whole neighborhood. I, I get the sense it's a neighborhood game, uh, is watching and cheering. Um, Ruby, Ruby, uh, runs for home base, uh, there's a question about whether the girl was out or 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 whether she su- successfully slid into home plate. Keep in mind my limitations of the understanding of of baseball. Uh, if it's more complicated than that, please explain. I, you're fine. You're oh, fine. Oh, good. Look at I, me. I think I think it's <laughs> I think it's fun how the um, the uh, the matriarch of the neighborhood is the umpire sitting on her porch. I mean, she is the one who decides if you're out or safe, and everybody goes along with that. I think that's that's kind of a fun. It fun is thing. fun. It yeah. is fun. But I'll tell you, Andy, it was a bit of a mislead to me because oh. I thought that that matriarch character was going to, in some way, become super important to this story. 
Ah, interesting. Because they're setting her up as sort of the elder who the community listens to and what she says goes. And I thought there might be a moment where that character came back uh, mm-hmm. and united the community in some, some way, shape, or form. But it doesn't. No. So that is not what this Manish Tanat is about. Why it is th- a confu- it's a confusing place because it, you do want to establish that this is what's happened before integration, but it almost feels like everything's sort of okay and Ruby can kind of do whatever she wants. And then we see the television program of, you know, the, the, news program broadcast of them talking about integration and mom and dad have this conversation of, well, why do we got to put Ruby where she's not wanted? And everyone knows their schools are better than ours, but it doesn't give me a, it doesn't give me a thing, a, a feeling that there's really anything wrong that needs to be, there's any wrong that needs to be righted. Does that make so, sense? No, it, it totally does. I think I think what you're asking for, Andy, is you'd want to see a scene in which Ruby was bored at her old school because there's mm-hmm. nothing there's no challenges there for her. So there's a test. All the other kids are working on the test. She puts her head down on the desk because she finished it 20 minutes ago. Right. Or so that there or that there's a contrast between those two schools where you see yes. Put them side poor by side. books, poor. Yeah, we see that these are indeed separate, but clearly not equal, which we know historically was and perhaps is the case, right? So why do we think we start here? So that's why you and I would not start here. No. Why do we think it starts here? I don't know. (laughs) I think it's here for two reasons. I think number one, it is a clue to the audience that Ruby wins. Rube, like there is, there is going oh, to, okay. like, it's okay. basically the movie as metaphor in three minutes. Uh, Ruby, Ruby tries to go to a place. Someone tries to prevent her from going there, but mm-hmm. ultimately, ultimately she prevails and gets to go where she wants to go. That's what Fair baseball enough. is, right? Yeah, so it's, right. it's mini movie as metaphor, safe, right? She's, she's and then safe. she's, and there's going to be a point where she's safe and she wins and she's vindicated. Okay. And it's fair enough. And if I don't I don't know how much that reads to a younger viewer, but maybe on a subconscious level, mm-hmm. that's that's what we're supposed to pick up. Uh, I think you've also so what is the inciting incident of this movie? It's not hard to find. I, I think we've already mentioned it. Uh Ruby gets in, does well on this test. Um mm-hmm. And is encouraged, uh, or her parents are encouraged, to enroll her in this school that previously was all white. That's the inciting incident. That's if she, if she, so, and the movie tries to like make a little thing of this where, where historically dad is like, I don't know that we want to do this. And mom says, no, we absolutely have to, which is historically true. Right. But there's no real, like, there's tension in this decision because the stakes are real. And do we want to see this little girl uh, get, get subjected to that? But at the same time, the answer has to be yes. Otherwise we don't have a movie. There's a reason this movie is Ruby bridges, but it's not about the other two children who got in, whose parents made other choices. Although I might want to see those conversations too. I might want to see it that all three sets of parents are, are having this conversation at the same time. Right. Uh, the other two say, yes, we'll do it. But by the time Ruby goes to school, she's the only one. I think that would add some uh, some conflict and some tension where really there's not, I mean, there is tension because she's going to go totally to tension. school. But I think it would even ratchet it up even more that she really is, that she could have said no to. And doesn't. And I think and there's the, a there's yeah. not as much of an emphasis on that. It basically <laughs> it feels like if Ruby doesn't say say yes, then there's no other child who had the opportunity to say yes. And part of what right. makes this story as exceptional is that Ruby's mother did say yes to this. Um and and I don't know. I again that's a that's a detail, but but 
I think you could get some pathos out of it. That initially Ruby's told you're going to be one of three girls, and then you find out that the other two aren't coming. I, th- I think there's right. something there. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. But then we get to the rising action. And I'm actually going to get through rising action pretty quickly because this story doesn't develop cinematically in which the stakes are ever escalating, leading towards a climax. Mm-hmm. It is more faithful, I think, to to the biographical details. So you described that first day where they spent the entire time in, in the principal's office. Uh, we, we meet Ruby's teacher. We watch her, of course, go past the crowds of angry people yelling horrible things to her. Which is amazing. That That's worth your, your time. This movie's worth your time for that scene and that scene alone. Oh, inarguably. Uh, and, and, but then the movie kind of stays in that place because the problem continues and mm-hmm. persists. Uh, we, we see that Ruby stops eating and we learn that the reason that she stops eating is because there's a, a, a woman outside constantly telling her that she's poisoning her. Uh, which, by the way, really did happen. There really was that woman constantly uh, threatening to poison her. Um, And she meets with uh, a child psychologist over the course of that year. But in terms of, like, events, this is more a story where there's just a constant pressure at this level, and it doesn't necessarily escalate. It, It doesn't eventually some kids start going into the school and that like lets off a little steam, but they're in a different classroom and they're not with her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically we watch her suffer through this year and there are moments of joy and there are moments of, uh, of celebration, but it isn't a traditional plot structure, right? It's more, it's more, it's definitely going for a, this is a bio biographical drama and we're and we're trying, you know, we're not trying to create a plot where there isn't a plot. Although there are some places where I think they created some plot, uh, and we'll talk about that in a second. So we get towards the end of the year, which is where I think the movie says we're heading towards a climax. Andy, yeah, can you identify <laughs> the climax of this movie? I think it's that everybody gets along. There is I, confrontation I, I, <laughs> in this movie. And I think the confrontation is the climax. But what is that confrontation? And I think the climax of this movie is the confrontation between uh, the teacher. Oh, this uh, is Henry and the, and the vice Ms. principal. Ms. Henry and the vice principal. And the vice principal, Miss Woodmere. At the end of the movie, uh, Miss Henry is very excited. Ruby has done great on the test at the end of the year. Miss Woodmere, the vice principal, says, Well, I'm going to lower her grades because she got one on one attention the whole year. Right, um, right. And Miss Henry stands up to Miss Woodmere and calls her out on all of the racist policies that she's perpetuated on Ruby over the course of the year. That is. I think, as close to a conflict climax as we get in this movie. There's a problem with that, though. A big problem with that, because the movie is about Ruby, right? And Ruby should be involved in the climax, I think. We're we're probably going to need to talk about protagonist problems at some point. But this, if this is anybody's story... It's Ruby's story. Mm-hmm. And Miss Woodmere may be Ruby's antagonist. Maybe. I think she's got a different one, but maybe. Uh, but Ruby needs to be present at the climax of her movie. Right. She needs to physically be there. She needs to say something or do something. If that's what you think if that's what you think the climax of the movie is. I Although don't... I think this is an important part of the movie. I mean, I think it's a, a climax to a B story, 
right? Because the tension between those two women and, and, the, and what's going on with Mrs. Henry at the school is a B story and a good one, but it's it, not it's a the good A story one. of the movie. And I'm not sure it ever really happened. I mean, right. I'm, I'm not a scholar, but I don't know that Miss Henry and Miss Woodmere ever had this conversation. And I don't know that Ruby knows that this conversation ever happened. Right. She's a six year old girl. Is someone is someone telling her what the teacher said to the vice principal? Um, So so that's that's a place where I feel like we fictionalize the story to create a climax. But I don't know that we need this because I think the real antagonist of this movie is the crowd outside the. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the crowd that's bullying them and keeping the family and keeping the family from working and keeping the family from going to the grocery store. And it's the crowd. Yeah, it is totally the crowd. So I would say what we want at the climax of this is to see that Ruby's relationship with the crowd, her ability to handle that crowd needs to be in some way uh, changed. Mm-hmm. And maybe we see the day where the crowd has dwindled down and it's lost its power. Maybe mm-hmm. we see in the second grade other African-American children going to that school and she's not the only one anymore. Right. And she doesn't need the federal agents to protect the federal agents saying goodbye. They don't need to protect her anymore. Something. Something that says that her that she has triumphed over her adversary, which is the mob. Right, because this movie isn't so much about white people accepting her, and that's why she went to school. The reason she went to school was to open the door for other children to be able, other black children to be able to attend that school. Yeah, and I I think there's there's a there's an idea of like we we're trying to teach the lesson you just have to give people a chance and when you get to know them, and I don't I don't think that's what this story is. This right, story agreed. is you have to fight and claw for your your right to get a good education, and mm-hmm. in doing that you pave the way for other people to get that education. If Ruby goes to school. And there are six or seven other African-American children going to that school. They're there because of the battle she fought. That's right. And won, right? And won. I, I mean, and I, think, the I think there's another climactic moment, perhaps, when she's sitting on the bench with Mrs. Henry and she's finally invited to do recess with the other children. Kind I, of. But it's but not it, a it, confrontation. You know? It's not. It's it's been a confrontation, and it's like all of a sudden, the other kids just go, "Okay, you can you can play with us." I mean, one of the kind kids of, says, "My mother says I'm not allowed to play with you," right? Uh, and Ruby shows that that doesn't bother her, right? Um, but I don't I don't know that Ruby ever really wanted to be friends with that particular kid, anyway. Right, right. It's almost like, oh, it, it, yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's annoying. It's, so listen. So that I would say uh, is the climax, and I and I I think our critiques of the climax are fair. When, well, uh, when 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 Ruby, you know, as as a a human, not as a character, but um, when when she says this is a Disney movie, and I want people to be aware that I'm aware of that, and that the situation was much worse than what's depicted, I think we owe it to the story to dig into the much worse and see where she thinks it, where, where did it change for you? Like what happened? Right. At what moment did it change? Because something changed to the point where now, I mean, she, when she was an adult in her forties, she was volunteering at that same school. Right. So something changed. When did I it I wouldn't change? mind seeing her. At 40, talking to children, looking out to a crowd of an integrated school and seeing kids of of various backgrounds hanging out as if it's no big deal. Right. That that would have been some great falling action. The movie doesn't give us much in falling action. It basically freezes frame 
and then text appears and says, because of what Ruby Bridges did, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I know this movie's meant for educational purposes, right? And it is yes. a little bit didactic at times. Sure. But but I'm not sure, I'm with you, I'm not sure the end game of everyone listening to each other and being friends and integrating is super satisfying after the violence that we've encountered in that with that crowd. It also I mean, went- the, the climax has little to do with Ruby and much more to do with the adults in her life that are working through their own barriers and probably so that families can talk about the concerns after the movie's over maybe, but it just, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like Ruby really wins. It also implies that the problem is solved. Exactly. Yes. And spoilers for real life listener, (laughs) this problem persists to this day it right it the details of the problem have changed mindsets have changed some for the better some less so uh but but like it is it is not a problem that gets solved it's a problem that gets continually fought fought and for the right to solve i mean Uh, it's almost like it's almost like well isn't it wonderful that we're no longer this way anymore that's that's how it feels to me, and it's it's and and it's I struggle wonderful with that. that we're not there, that we're right. no longer at that moment in history, that that we we don't have this situation where alone uh, African American girl has to be surrounded by federal agents every day to get to school. I'm glad we're not there. Right. I would like us to be someplace other than where we are. Right. Correct. Yep. Same. And, and yeah. Uh, well, let's so that- talk a little bit about adaptations a little bit. You know, Please. we're doing an adaptation of a historical event. Um, and when we do that, I think there's a tendency to follow a story to the letter, even if there's redundancy. And there are redundant scenes in this movie. There are times when I'm like, wait a minute, her mom's telling her to pray about this. Didn't that happen before? Isn't this, I mean, I feel like we keep, rehashing the same thing over and over instead of building on something. And so, so when we tell the story, it's like, and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. Uh, and then we wrap it all up and everybody's fine. I, I don't think that thematically, I don't think theme is really considered as much as, and then this event happened and this event happened and getting those events correct in order. Um, do you agree with I, that? Or? No, I, I mean, mom and dad have the same conversation at least three times, possibly more, where yeah. dad says, I don't want her to go to that school. And mom says, I have, she has to. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of <sighs> speech making in this movie yeah. where characters come <laughs> out and you can almost hear music swell in the, I, I think you do hear it, music because swell. Because it does. Yes. <laughs> right. Swell we're told because, to think about it, right? Because someone is saying something important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you can have beats like that, but you can't have a movie that is tons of that. Because when you have a lot of the same moment over and over again, it diminishes through repetition the importance of that scene. If I see a scene where dad and mom are having a conversation about whether Ruby should go to that school, I get it. The only reason to have another scene like that is if you're reversing where the characters stand. That now right. mom is right. mom is wavering and wanting to pull her out of school, but now dad is like, "We've come too far. You were right from the beginning," which would have been amazing, right? To have that level of reversal. And look, maybe that conversation, that version of the conversation, never happened. And historically, you know, mom and dad stayed exactly where they were for that whole year. So you don't want to create that scene. But if it's the same exact scene. Or with just a minor variation, what, seeing that sort of thing once is enough. Right. I feel like this movie I mean, would be much tighter at a solid hour than being an hour and change. Right. So, so in many ways, the redundancy, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute. And in many ways, it's sort of novel. And then we get to experience the over and over again, day after day nature of her life. But there's this work that needs to that the movie needs to do, and that's to build to a climax, right? 
uh, the the movie gives us the what I think is probably the beginning of the second act, or maybe even the third act at the beginning of the movie. And it's shot. I mean, I think it would be more interesting to really wrestle, to watch them really wrestle with do we, don't we send her? And and then that shock of it when we do send her, we finally get to the place where like, okay, this is the then we send her to school at the beginning of act or the end of act one, which we get, it's more treated like an inciting incident, getting her to the school. So we rush through a lot of it, but right, we, th- this is almost a, the Cinderella problem, yeah. which is we're, we're starting late in the story and maybe we should start earlier. Uh, maybe the inciting incident should be the taking of the test. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I certainly hear you. Although, Although I would also say often what I say the inciting incident is traveling from one world to another. So there is a story logic to the inciting incident being she arrives at this new school, which is a new world to her. Um, I just think there are different ways to do it. A lot of a lot of what this movie does is I think when it's not focused on Ruby, it tries to create storylines for characters in the movie who aren't her. Yes. There's a storyline between Dr. Coles and his wife in which mm-hmm. Dr. Coles will never stay for dinner at the Bridges house and his and his wife shows him that he needs to be willing to eat dinner there. And I don't look, I'm not a Ruby Bridges scholar. Maybe maybe that did happen. Mm-hmm. I I'm not sure that that's the important sto- story to be telling here even if it did. Right? Well, I mean, I think, again, I think the goal is to get <laughs> maybe white people to look at some of their prejudices, even though they they claim to not be prejudiced or to be racist, to examine, okay, well, if you're not, then why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you eat their food or why wouldn't you eat from their plates, right? I mean, we um, all have work to do. Right. I, I, if, if that's, if that's the argument, it's just, you don't have to put every not every character needs to have their story told when you're telling the story of Ruby Bridges. Right. And I, again, I think it's done for educational reasons. I think yes. that's the, the reason, but also because it's television, we start jumping about act two. We start probably about the mid midpoint. Really? We start jumping from protagonist to protagonist. And I'm not sure whose story this is anymore. When Ruby's on the screen, I'm all in. But when it, these other ancillary characters are talking about Ruby, I tune out. There are four other characters we could identify as the protagonist. We could right. identify her mom as the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Uh, early on, I, I actually thought it might be the story of her mom more than the story of her. Because her yeah. mom goes with her to school for those first two days. And I was wondering, I was wondering if we're whose viewpoint we were supposed to be in, in those scenes. Or her dad, uh, right? Who Her dad. Up, who, who, who really suffers a lot because of this. I mean, his, his level of suffering because of this decision is pretty high. Miss Henry is mm-hmm. considered a protagonist in this story. Her struggle with oh, the yeah. other teachers, yeah. the vice principal. It's that. And as I said earlier, that's given the most weight as climax and, and then Dr. Coles, right? Dr. Coles is given given some protagonist function here either. Um, that is a lot of characters to be following for an hour and 20-something minutes. Right. And I don't necessarily think you need to get rid of all of those perspectives. I, If I was going to cut just one, it would be either Miss Henry or Dr. Coles. If I was going to cut just two... It would be both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I was going to cut another, I'd probably cut either her mom or her dad. Uh, it, it just it almost feels like we're adding more protagonists just for the sake of variety of scenes. Well, and maybe keep them, Larry, but don't give them the the emotional weight of the scene. Keep it with Ruby. I mean, we see her shouldering some of that emotional weight, but we also are she's kind of removed from it in a lot of ways because there are so many scenes with adults talking and she's not part of it. I want her in the center of these conflicts, the adults are having, and I want her asking 
the NAACP representatives the harder questions, not her mom, right? I want her engaging the federal marshal and possibly the vice principal. But I also get that there's a detachment in this film because, because there's this belief that we want children to come away from this not worrying that the adults eventually will handle it and hash it out or something, maybe. There could guess, be a scene that. where Ruby could talk to Dr. Coles about how important it is that he stay for dinner. Mm-hmm. That, that might have happened. Or just, why won't you stay? That's it's it. like, I wish you'd stay for dinner. You know, I made, I made this. Yes. I made this because I know you like it. Some, you, something, yeah, yeah. something along those lines. And we see her effect change. Or you yes. give me the mom yes. and dad arguing scene, but what we see is Ruby overhears it. Because even though they think they're having the conversation privately, the walls mm-hmm. are thin and Ruby's mm-hmm. hearing every word. You don't even have to change the scene. But now it's about her having information that she's not supposed to have that her right. dad doesn't right. want her to go. Right. Um, again, this movie is... a is an important movie telling an important story. Mm-hmm. I think if we're making it today, we make some different choices. Sure. Let's talk about characters a little bit. Um, Ruby Bridges, who I think Chaz Monet does an amazing job. What an amazing young girl, an amazing young actor. Um, I really hope they had a therapist working with her other than Ke- Kevin Pollack, uh, because those scenes of going up to the school and having those people shout at you. I mean, I'm sure they shot shot it so that she wasn't, you know, dealing with that. But boy, how traumatizing would that be? Sometimes the camera, like, for for example, the scene in which, like, you see someone being hung or you see, like, someone right. pointing at a coffin. The camera takes the place of her eyes. And you right. have to hope that the actress actually wasn't there that day. Right. Um, so... I don't know how you could watch this movie and not root for Ruby. Uh, there's a oh, couple. Yeah. Of, there's a couple of moments in that in that story where I was like, "Oh, she's a she is a little kid." At one point, she's talking to her friend about her school, and she says, "You know what's the great thing about my school? I'm the only kid in the whole school." Which right? was a great moment. I want more of that in this right. movie. I want her saying, "No, my school is really private because I'm the only one." Right. Um, and, and more of those moments where she's wrestling with her experience and what's what's going on with her. I felt that they were dealing with some limitations of what they felt a young actress could handle. Um, mm-hmm. And we, we have a bunch of scenes between her and Dr. Coles where we're watching her draw. Mm-hmm. And those scenes feel a little bit long. If I get to be the eyes, like a fly on the wall during someone's therapy session... I probably want to see just the results of the drawing and not watch the actual drawing. Um, I want I want to hear the conversations a right. little bit more than I do. Uh, as it is, I don't know how... I know that she has therapy and therapy mm-hmm. helps. I don't actually get to see the moment in therapy where things turn around for her. Right. Agree. There is a neat scene in those therapy scenes um, where um, there's all sorts, like there's a drawing and like different people are missing different things and they never explicitly call out. It's, it's very writery. I don't believe that this is actually what her drawing is, but it's like, why don't you have a mouth in this picture? Why doesn't this person have ears? Uh, And like on the one point, I liked it. I like that they didn't have a scene where they explained it. So if you're a kid, you can do the work and you could ask a kid who's watching this movie, why do you think Ruby doesn't have a mouth in the picture she drew? And maybe the kid comes with, well, she, maybe she feels like nobody listens to what she has to say. Like she has no voice and the other person mm-hmm. has no ears and wouldn't hear her even if she had a, like, like that's that sort of, that sort of, I would love, I would love to watch as a class lesson kids Answering the question, why do you think she drew it the way she drew it? Uh, so on the one and hand, you make an I, interesting point about the limitations that kids might have. Like maybe they keep her in this movie isolated from the experience because it is so traumatizing, right? There, there are sometimes 
I, I, look, I, I don't like talking about performance, but there's sometimes she's a six little, she's a six year old girl, and like there's a scene which doesn't, there's a moment where the smile should be happening later, but the smile is creeping out a little, a little before the cue because okay. she's having a good time being in a movie. Um, <laughs> right, right. I I still thought that was adorable, and I don't, right. I don't, I don't know that like that needs to be fixed. I'm just, you know, it's adorable. It's, okay, it's hard um, to have your movie rest on a, a living, breathing six-year-old child, which is why so often you go to animation and you have <laughs> older voice actors playing six-year-olds. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Avon Bridges, uh, played by Michael Beach. I think he is a sweet father. I mean, you can see why he is against putting a tiny girl in the middle of all that nonsense. I mean, it's his tiny girl, right? And I think the moment for me that's so great is when he's off to work with his lunchbox and he is, look, he's, he goes, do you have ID? Well, it's going to be difficult later. And he's like, what in the world is going on here? And I have to go to work. You know, he has to take care of his family. And so. I think one thing I think this movie does a great job is demonstrating his worldview isn't wrong. It does do Ruby harm to go to those schools. And he can recognize that someone's little girl needs to go to these schools and still not want it to be his. Right. Right. Their lives do get harder because of the, of the choice that they made here. Um, and, and I, I think sometimes a mistake that this movie avoids is the idea that mom is 100% correct about this and dad is zero percent correct about this i Mm -hmm. i i think ultimately we agree with mom this fight needs to be fought right dad's not wrong from from her perspective is the perspective of the world of history of ruby's long-term well-being Mm -hmm. and he's more focused on this moment his family right now and those are two valid perspectives to yeah when fixing a choice like this. We're glad they make the choice that they do, but he's not bad or weak for for considering the other option. No, not at all. Ruby stops eating midway through this movie. Mm -hmm. That's like, and who knows how long she takes that harm with these, that, that, that may be something she deals with for the rest of her life. Right. Right. I, I, yeah, I don't think this, I think this is a life um, altering event. I don't yeah. think it ever goes away. Um, I, I, I do think not for a, her. I think with Lucy uh, Leela Roshan's character, like it, it, uh, it's hard for me to understand her drive as a mom because I'm, I'm pretty protective. But uh, I, I think her daughter and her husband pay a price for her idealism. And I'm not sure that she really does. So I think that's one thing that I wish I would watch her have to, I think she should be the one at the grocery store who gets turned down, right? Who says you can't shop here anymore. Right, it all happens to dad. It all happens to dad. And that actually is a moment that should happen to mom. Yeah. I think mom's conflict is actually faith-based. That that she's someone who believes at the beginning, I mean, I don't know, I'm not talking about the real life woman, but the woman in this movie is that if there's a problem and you pray hard enough, the problem will, you know, providence will cause it to happen. And midway through the movie, she's been praying as hard as she can. And the problem's still there. And I think we're supposed to see that scene as a crisis of faith. Um, The problem with that one scene is if it was a movie that was willing to take a, a few more liberties here, dad would be, faith is something that sometimes somebody else has to take for you, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. some when, when your faith is weak, that's when your partner steps up and, and does the work of believing for you. So right, you don't right. have to in that moment. And, and instead they just have the same conversation and mom is like, I'll, I'll just keep praying. And uh, they, they don't, that that scene needs to either not exist or be different, I think. Even I think, if it really happened. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a place where they're they're in bed and she comes to her mom and says, you know, that she's scared and her mom tells her to pray on it. And I, I'm, I, that that scene bothers me too. Um, sure. Because the the simpli- she puts her in a really complex situation and gives her a lot of simplistic answers, and that's without really and, being supportive. I think. And it's not so much that prayer isn't the answer. But before prayer, we need to actually have mom have the conversation with Ruby. Like, what is it that we should pray for? Let's talk about what it is that you're afraid of. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about what's, let's have the real conversation. And instead, it feels like mom is like, I'm not really sure what your problem is, but whatever it is, it's solved one way, prayer. But in the uh, real story, I mean, she says, I was six years old. I didn't know what was happening. They didn't tell me what I was going to do. I, and th- this is the hard this is the hard line about, like, w- what do you do for a movie when it's based on real life? That's right. Right? That's right. Uh, I, it's, it's so tricky because you can see saying, but that's not the way it happened. Right. Um, but it may be the thing that needs to happen for the audience to understand the moment. Exactly. Uh, so Barbara much is happening Henry. eternally. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Barbara Henry, Penelope Ann Miller. I, I think she does a great job in this movie. I want to see her wrestle with more of her own prejudices, I think. Um, I think it is really wild that she leaves that kid to eat lunch alone by herself. I don't know where she goes. Because she goes the one to the or teacher's two, lounge. But every time she's at the teacher's lounge... It is. Uh-huh. It feels like it's the first time she's ever walked into the teacher's lounge, and right. she's constantly surprised by the attitudes of the other women. If you're eating lunch with them every day, there is At probably some point you're gonna yeah grow into that knowledge, she's, right? She's hearing racist stuff from them every day, mm-hmm. right? And it feels like in those scenes, that's like the one day they had this racist moment, and it's just it's just not true, right? Um, right. It's it's tricky because I think what you're saying, Andy, is if if I was creating the fictional version of this, I would have her maybe at the beginning of this movie have a little more prejudice and racist issues of her own. She might be better than the other women at the school, mm-hmm. uh, but she's willing to hear a lot more and say less, uh, not, not stir up trouble at the beginning of this. And what we want to see is... Uh, over her time with Ruby, she starts fighting and standing up for her more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's pretty much all in for Ruby from the beginning, which might be historically true. Yep, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Um, it just may not make for as compelling a story as to mm-hmm. watch her transform over the course of the year. And I think that's that's one of the things that I have as a note is the, the lack of transformation with these characters. Um, it, the people that transform are Dr. Coles, uh, the ancillary teacher to Mrs. Henry, not really Mrs. Henry, um, Ruby's parents somewhat. And the ancillary teacher, we don't actually see what right. causes her to transform. It's, it's just time passes. She must have been witnessing things off camera. Right. And now she's she's changed her mind. Yeah, it's... Um, Miss Woodmere, who is, I think she's the vice principal, but she's the vice principal, but not the principal, which raises a question for me. Why not the the principal? Why is the principal in this movie? I don't know that I'm right about this, Andy, and man, I wish I'd looked it up. But I think the answer is the principal is a real person who in real life, Mm -hmm. and this vice principal is completely fictional because it's okay to make a depiction of a completely fictional person this level of racist and not get sued oh this level of wickedness right she and she truly encapsulates that wickedness and, doesn't and she? not and not claim you're being yeah. defamatory to a real person that, of all the characters and it's not because she's racist that i feel like she's fictional it's mm-hmm. because there is this principal and superintendent who we never see mm-hmm. and it's always the vice principal who's in this position um, and it and it implies that the racism, like she's at the top of the racism pyramid, that maybe it doesn't get extended to the principal by his absence. Mm, mm. Is that is that? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I didn't really think about the legal aspects of this, but you're probably not wrong. 
But she's um, also, I mean, she's loathsome. Oh, uh, completely. I mean, and, she's uh, Diana Scarwood. I mean, if you saw her in um, the thing I remember seeing her in was Mommy Dearest. Um, but she really has this look on her face where she is just, ah, uh, she's, it's disturbing. I feel like performance. the threat that she makes to lower Ruby scores at the end of the year mm. is not something that happened. Uh, because it seems like a single teacher standing up to her is enough for that, or two teachers standing up to her is enough to keep that from happening. But, but also, like, yeah, what happens when if when when people find out you did that? It that it, right. it's not a it's not a perfect crime. If I was writing this, I would make Miss Woodmere have a really good mask of. Listen, I have parents complaining. I, it's not that I'm racist. Right, it's, right. It's She'd be a little more like Scar, right? <laughs> being able, and then have the mask drop. Right. This character has no mask. She's basically like, you know, where, like she would hang out with Cruella DeVille and mm-hmm. she'd be like, she'd be like, hey, yeah, puppies. Can, can if you if you buy another hundred, we could be sisters and wear matching outfits. There, there's there's no part of her that makes you say like, why? Ah, right. this is the reason she's the vice principal of the school. And there's a story to be had about like Mimi, a woman being the vice principal of this school, right? Who mm-hmm. who is subordinate to male characters but has to do all of the work and is delegated with dealing with the Ruby bridges situation. Right. Like, right. like she's probably in the real, in the real life version of a, a character who I don't know is a real life person probably had to struggle with her own battles with prejudice, which might make it worse that she's right. inflicting harm on Ruby bridges. It could be a cycle of, ab- there's, there's richness to be tapped here. But it's all on one level. She always looks like she smells something bad in the room. Right. And and, and I, I is- think I think part of that might be just because, again, this is an educational piece. And again, like I said, it's didactic. I think they just don't want to have any kind of moral ambiguity in this movie. Um, I think that's the reason. But I, I think, think the movie but I think be. the movie I, and I think the movie suffers because of it. Moral ambiguity. We live in a morally ambiguous world. I know how to behave in a didactic Mm -hmm. world of good versus evil. Mm -hmm. It's all of the gray that's around me that that really how do I navigate my behavior in in a world where uh, this person is my boss and they're doing something wrong. And right. if she is, I like her as a person, but then I find out she's racist. Like those are situations yeah, yeah. that you find like yourself it, in. And you like, like, well, and I, in that way, we're talking about Dr. Coles, right? We like him as a person. And then we find out he's got, he's racist, right? I think. Not really. Uh, he's, I, so, so one of the things that was coming on in my, I mean, look, the movie portrays it as like, he's got this hang up about eating with the family. That is a holdover of, of perhaps the way that he was raised and taught that he needs to examine. Right? It's not necessarily racism as it is ingrained behavior, un- unexamined behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, I don't know how appropriate it is for the psychologist to eat with the whole family because that implies he's there for everybody. And the psychologist right, is right. really supposed to have a relationship just with, with just the kid. with Ruby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that was that the, the, I, I expected his wife. I don't know why he brings his wife with him to the house every, every day. Uh, but I expected his wife to say, um, why won't you eat with them? And for him to say, because they're the because Ruby's the client, right. and I, I don't want the too. lines to be blurred. Right, she needs to know I'm there for her, that she can fire me uh, if if she needs to. That that and if I build up a relationship with the rest of the family that is not professional, that mm-hmm. means I'm less special to her. I'm not there just for her. I'm there right. for all of them. 
Yeah, uh, I think it's, and I think Kevin Pollack does a great job in this role. Um, he's a great actor. I really like him a lot. He's, he gives a great performance. Um, it's just another, it's, that also felt to me like we're adding something on here. But again, I don't know. Maybe that really happened. It's not. Oh, it it's did. Not a- yeah, it did. I mean, Dr. Coles even wrote a book about uh, a children's book, I think, about Ruby and then also wrote. Um, oh, no, no. I know he's uh, real. Right, I meant right, like right. The, the whole dinner conversation thing. Yeah. Like, the will feels, he stay for dinner. That felt kind of forced. It felt forced to me. Maybe it really happened and I'm wrong. But it felt Maybe to so. me like like we're adding something here because he's a protagonist character and he needs to overcome something. Or it was of oh, another, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and we're not really looking at what is the dramatic question that we're asking in each of these acts, right? Um, yeah. I think there are dramatic questions that aren't being answered, maybe not even asked, because I- the, 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 the dramatic questions are always, and what's going to happen next? Not, is she going to be in this space? And is this space going to, uh, is she going to conquer this space? That, that's not really the question. The question is, is this space going to accept her? And that's where I think it's, I think it's a miss. I also want to say I'm at the limits of my knowledge. I don't know what's, what the thoughts in psychology were. Uh, in in uh, at this time period, I think I, I'm they surprised. were more involved. I think you could be more involved with your characters. I, I don't think there was the professional distance that we see now. Yeah, I mean that that could be a limit. I was also surprised that he always went to see her in full military uniform because I I would I, I don't know what the rules are for that. It seems that this is something he's doing on his own time and not that the government. Is has assigned him to be her therapist. I, I would right. say prob- probably that creates a if he's always well, in his military uniform. It if creates the government intimidating. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if the government did assign him to do that, then I think we need to see that, and not just he happens upon this scene when he's late to a conference where he happens to go through this neighborhood in New Orleans. It yeah, that was a little of, coincidental, wasn't that, it? Yeah, it was a little little odd. So the fact that he is working, I don't know. It it just seems like it would be just be better if he were he were just assigned that. I mean there are federal marshals assigned. Why can't there be a federal psychologist assigned? Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a couple of little moments here and there where where I raise my eyebrows a little bit. Uh there's one, the woman who is constantly yelling at Ruby, I'm going to poison you, I'm going to poison your food and what have you. They also have her child at one point break away from her and say, I'm going to school. And so for the rest of the year, he's going to school as his mom is is yelling out there. And I'm like, that doesn't feel real to me. That woman's son, maybe he did that one day. Are we saying when, when and he came home that day, she had nothing to say about it? I don't know. I mean, she seems really like, and and are these federal marshals just, I mean, I guess people do have free speech. And at this point we don't talk about hate speech as being something that's. No, the crowds got bigger. Yeah. I mean, the hate speech is protected at this point. Right. So. uh, It's so hard to watch those scenes. So, so hard. Really hard. Uh, there was one scene where, like, there's like um, a uh, clergyman who's who's like, I'm just trying to get my child to the school, and I thought, right. oh, maybe they'll make a bigger deal of this character and his but daughter. But they don't maybe really. They no. don't. I was like, oh, maybe this daughter will be Ruby's friend. No. Um, it, there's, there's. It's interesting. It's interesting. Sometimes my expectations are subverted because of what we would do in a movie. And that's great. And right. other times my expectations of what I need from a movie aren't fully met. That's, that's Well, and to clarify, I think the crowd scenes are the best parts of this movie. I'm, they're not hard to watch because you shouldn't, I don't want no, to watch they're them. Powerful. They're, they're powerful. And I think that's, I think that is the struggle. It is the struggle between Ruby and that crowd and all that crowd implies. And that crowd has to, 
she's got to, you're right. She's got to face that crowd. And I don't think she ever really does. I want the first, I want the day where Ruby goes to school and there is no crowd. And she looks Mm -hmm. to her right and she looks to her left and enough time has passed that that crowd, she beat them. She beat them. They're not, they, they know, they know there's no point in doing what they're doing anymore. She's too strong for them. They don't have stamina. Right, right, right. And then those, and then she walks into her classroom and there are kids, other, you know, other or there's one or two, there. one or yeah. two people left in the crowd who will do that for the rest of their lives. Uh, right. But we see how small they are and pathetic right. they are. Yeah. Their strength came from the mob. They themselves, right. not really. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a good movie. I like it. It was tough, but I, I think it's an important film for kids to watch. Um, but I think in, if we were doing it today, we might, we might do it a little differently. I, I would, I would say probably if I was showing this in the classroom, I would have specific scenes queued up. I'd stop, I'd discuss, and then I'd go to there. Some of the more redundant scenes I might, I might skip over. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't think I'd watch this movie all at once in a classroom. I think I do it in chapters over the mm-hmm. course of like a, a, like a, a week. week unit, yeah. Yeah. but but definitely have a lot of time for kids to stop, reflect, write, talk, ask questions. And then I, yeah. I think for that, this movie is perfect. I think mm-hmm. watching it all at once is a little, it, it, it gets a little samey towards, towards the last half hour. I was fighting right. the urge to check my phone because mom and dad were having the conversation again about right. whether Ruby should finish out the year. And mom and dad are having the conversation after a commercial break. So, you know, maybe we want to figure out. What there are natural chapter stopping points with the commercial yep. break. And it's yep. kind of actually honoring uh, the original way it was showed to break it up that way. Yep, for sure. Well, what movie are we doing next week, Larry? Next week, we are doing Oliver and Company. And if you want to talk about about adaptation, adaptation, Andy, uh, (laughs) I'm excited to talk about adapting Dickens. Uh, Again, this is not the first this is not the first thing we've seen that adapted Dickens, but we're adapting Dickens again. But this time it's an adaptation of Oliver Twist, an animated adaptation. And there's dogs in it. (laughs) <laughs> and there are dogs in it, although I like the cat better. <laughs> well, friends, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? And please check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page or drop us a line in our mailbag at Once Upon a Disney Podcast at gmail.com. We really want to hear from you. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real soon.